All right, last week we looked at um, Easter evening. So Jesus appears on Easter evening in a locked room with his disciples, says, peace be with you, shows him his wounds to verify that's really him, not a ghost, not a vision, not a hallucination. And he gives them a commission. He says, as I've been sent, I'm sending you. And we'll see today that one of the disciples wasn't in the mix. He wasn't in the room. And we'll see how he responds or reacts to that and then how Jesus responds to him not being there. So that's where we're going to pick up verse 24. Now Thomas, also called Didymus, which means twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He wasn't there that first Easter Sunday night. So the other disciples told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told Thomas, Because you've seen me, you believed. And blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So don't know why Thomas wasn't there on that Easter evening. It should be pure speculation uh, to try to figure that out. The Bible doesn't tell us anything, but he wasn't there. And so these guys, these ten guys, I don't know if they were best friends or just, you know, he was close to them. They literally lived together for, ten, for, for, for three years. And so there's some, I would think, depth of relationship there. These guys are telling him we've seen the Lord. And for whatever reason, Thomas is hesitant, resistant to believe that for himself. And he makes this statement. I don't know what you hear. He says, unless I, I want to touch his wounds, that's what I need. I'm not going to believe unless I touch his wounds. I don't know if you hear him like a two-year-old kind of stamping his foot and going, unless I touches wounds, I'm not going to believe. I don't know if you hear defiance. I don't know if you hear anger or disappointment. I'm not sure how you understand Thomas. You know, doubting Thomas, that's proverbial now. That's, this is where that comes from. This idea of, of Thomas, again, as a, as a doubter. I don't see him that way, especially if you see doubt as a negative. I don't, I don't really see him that way at all, and hopefully I'll be able to explain that a little bit as we move through the morning and maybe it'll give you a hand holder to, to put yourself in Thomas's shoes, which is not the easiest thing in the world to do. So for whatever reason, Thomas isn't in the room and then he says to the disciples, I, I, I've got to see it with my own eyes. I want to touch his wounds. And so then the next Sunday night, it's almost an exact duplicate of what happened on that Easter Sunday. If you look at the details, so Mary Magdalene had said to these ten disciples, I've seen the Lord. These ten disciples have said to Thomas, we've seen the Lord. You've got someone who's in the mix, someone who they're in relationship with, giving firsthand testimony. It's a Sunday night. They're in a locked room. Jesus appears in a locked room, must walk through the door, walk through the wall, this resurrection body that he has. Peace be with you is the thing that he says to both Thomas and to the group on uh, that first Sunday night, shows him his wounds to verify, hey, it's really me, I'm not a ghost, I'm not a hallucination, I'm not a vision, I'm really here. 
almost an exact duplicate. That says something to me. It says something to me about Jesus. What I see is he's circling back for Thomas. He's giving Thomas what Thomas needs. He's, Here, Thomas, you can put your fingers in the nail holes on my wrist. You can put your hand in my side. That's gross is what that is. Gross. I don't think Thomas, there's no indication that Thomas took Jesus up on that offer, but it was a genuine offer. I don't know what he would have grabbed if he had stuck his hand in Jesus' side, but it would have been nasty. But if that's what he needed, that's what Jesus offers to Thomas. And he says, stop doubting. That's what the NIV says. I think that's maybe harsher than what Jesus intended. Stop unbelieving and start believing. That would be a more literal translation. Stop your unbelief or stop unbelieving and start believing. That sounds a bit more like an invitation to me, which is where I think Jesus was coming from. And Thomas's response is profound. My Lord and my God. First person in the whole book of John to call Jesus God. Thomas. Doubting Thomas. First one to call Jesus God. That's blasphemy if it's not true. There's only one God, and for Thomas to use that label on anybody other than the God in heaven, that would be blasphemy if it wasn't true. And he applies it to Jesus. First person to do that. Three years of public ministry. First person in John's gospel to, to say that. And John, I think, is he, he kind of does a timeout, and he says, that's the reason I wrote the book. I wrote the book so people would get to where Thomas got to. So that they would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, and the Son of God, God. And by believing they would have life in his name. John holds Thomas up as a picture, the paradigm. This is, what I want all, this is where I want all of y'all to get. I want everybody to get to the place that Thomas got to where they can look at Jesus and say, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, you believed because you see. That's just a statement. That's not a rebuke. It's just a statement. And he says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. That's all of us. Everyone who wasn't, alive, who wasn't alive during those first 40 days after his resurrection where he appeared to some people in bodily form. Blessed or favored are those who can believe without seeing. Hebrews 11 says that without faith it's impossible to please God. The faith that you need to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead is greater than the faith Peter needed or James needed or John needed or Thomas needed. They got to see Jesus physically. If they wanted to, they could have, put, they could have touched his wounds. You don't get to do that. And so you're blessed and I'm blessed for believing without seeing. We're not better, but there's a greater measure of faith that's needed for us than was needed uh, for Thomas and the other ten disciples. So, I, again, I, I don't know if you can put yourself in Thomas's shoes or not. I don't see him as doubting. I see him much more as dedicated. He appears three times in John's gospel. We don't see anything from him in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in John's gospel, we have these three just really brief snapshots, just these little snippets, slivers of conversation. The one that we just saw, one in John 11. So Lazarus, who's one of Jesus' closest friends, is sick, and then he dies. And he lives in Bethany, which is two miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to go to, to, go to Lazarus. He's died. I'm going to go to him. And the disciples are saying, don't do that. It's only two miles from Jerusalem. The Jews there have already tried to stone you. They're going to try to kill you. And Jesus says, I'm going. And Thomas says, well, let's go die with him. Not let's go die with Lazarus. Let's go die with Jesus. And what I hear there is 
commitment and dedication. Maybe, maybe a bit of pessimism, for sure. I don't necessarily hear him being a hero, like, let's go die with him. I hear him more just commit. I want to be where Jesus is. And if that means I've got to die, then okay. Dedicated, commit, committed, loyal. John 14, the last night of Jesus' life, he's given all this instruction to prepare the disciples for their time without him, for his departure. And some of what he says is pretty cryptic and some is pretty straightforward. And he says to the disciples, I'm going somewhere and you can't come and you can't follow me, but you know the way. And Thomas is going, time out. If you won't tell us where you're going and you won't let us follow you, then how do we know the way? Very practical question. I think underneath the logic of that question is Thomas's desire to be with Jesus. I want to be with you and you're not going to tell me where you're going and you're not going to let me follow you, so how am I going to reconnect with you? If you're going someplace, how am I going to reconnect with you if you won't tell me where it is and you won't let me follow? How am I going to find you again? What I hear is a desire to be with Jesus. So what, when I hear Thomas in John 20, I don't hear defiance. I don't hear kind of arms crossed, pouting. I don't hear kind of a hard-edged skepticism. What I hear is a guy that really wants to believe. He just needs a little more evidence. He just needs to see it for himself. I think he wants to believe. I think that's why he was there that next Sunday night. I think in his mind, he's thinking, okay, Jesus appeared in this room on a Sunday night. So the next chance he gets, the next Sunday night, he shows back up in the room. Because if Jesus is going to show back up, in his mind, it's going to be here. And it's going to be then. And he wants to be there. You've ever been the guy who's left out? Ten people have this one experience. Thomas doesn't. They're all talking about, hey, we've seen the Lord. Thomas hasn't. That whole week, he's been the guy on the outside. But rather than kind of pouting or dis distancing himself from the rest of the disciples or saying they're crazy or silly or any of that, he's there with them that next Sunday because he wants to see Jesus. And it, the, the, the fact that this confession that he has, is, it's so ready. As soon as he sees Jesus, I don't, it doesn't end, the Bible doesn't indicate that he does touch him. He just sees him and Jesus says, here's what you need. Come and put your fingers in the nail holes and your hand in my side. It doesn't appear that Thomas did that, but that confession is right there, my Lord and my God, and it's new. That's not something that he's heard before. Nobody else has called Jesus God. The fact that he's ready, he, his heart is already there, makes me think that was his posture. He wanted to believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead. He just needed a little more evidence for himself, and I don't know why. I don't know why he couldn't take the word of his ten Friends, these 10 guys who he lived with for three years. I don't know why he couldn't take their word for it, but he couldn't. He needed something personal. And I don't think, again, it was a, a hard-edged skepticism or cynicism. I don't think it was petulant defiance. I, it, there was just something in Thomas, and he needed that. And Jesus circled back and gave it to him. And so I wonder this morning if any of you are like Thomas. There's something that you really want to believe about God. You just need a little bit more evidence. You want to believe that God heals. You want to believe that God is good. You want to believe that God is sovereign. You want to believe that God speaks. You want to believe that 
God provides. And you got 10 friends, and they're all saying he does. I've experienced it in my own life. But for whatever reason, for you, you just need something a bit more personal. And your arms aren't folded. You're not stomping your foot. You're not defiant. You're not being a baby. You're just being honest. I want to believe this to be true about you. But the evidence in my life doesn't quite add up. It's a hard place to be. Because you also know that blessed are those who believe without seeing. And that's in your mind. And so there's a part of you that thinks, what, why, am I, why am I griping about this? Why can't I just be thankful for what I have received? Why can't I just be content with what God has shown me? Why do I need this other piece? Why do I need to put my hand in his side? How come I need that? Because blessed are those who can believe without seeing. And so there's a part of you that wants to soldier on. And just say, that, maybe even resign yourself to say, this is it, I'm going to be okay. And it's going to be fine. But then at your most honest moment, there's this other part of you that says, I sure would like to put my hand in his side. I want to experience that too. And it creates this tension in you, this elephant in the room of your relationship with God that you don't know, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Do I just say, you know what? Put my head down, I'm just going to keep going. Be content with what I've got. Or do I risk opening this door again, asking and hoping for God to do something that maybe he won't do? And again, it can create this tension in you and in me that can be very difficult to, to live with. If you're not there, it may, you may be thinking, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's okay. For the people who are there, it's a, very, it's a tough place to be. It's hard to know how do I move forward because you kind of you twist yourself up trying to decide what, what does faith look like. Does faith look like asking God, do this thing, I want to touch your wounds. Is that faith or is faith saying, I don't need it. I don't need that. I'm just going to trust and move ahead. And so you can almost get paralyzed in your relationship with God, at least in this one area. And if that's where you are this morning, I want you to think about Thomas and remember Jesus circled back for him. He circled back for him. And he'll circle back for you today. I don't have any answers for you. I don't have the magic bullet. I wish I did. I don't. I want to be able to say, hey, if you need to put your hand in his side, he's going to let you. But I don't know that he's going to. I know he'll circle back for you. And I know he'll give you what you need. But I don't know if the thing that you think you need is what you really need. But I know if, like Thomas, you'll put yourself in a position to meet him. If you'll show back up in the room, he'll circle back for you. And he'll give you what you need. I don't think he, I don't think he was reluctant that second Sunday night. I don't think he was disappointed. I don't think he rolled his eyes. I don't think he tisked, tisked Thomas. I don't think there was any of that. I think he gladly showed up that second Sunday with all of the circumstances exactly the same so that Thomas could have this moment that he needed so that he could believe 
that Jesus is the Lord and God. So here's what I want us to do. We've got, we're going to take 10 minutes. Normally, this is a little bit of an extended ministry time for us. We're going to do 10 minutes, and we're going to do things a little bit different. So we have a couple of rows here. So if you're on the ministry team, I want you to come and sit on these rows. And if you're in a pair, I want you to leave the seat in between you. And you all just stay seated with the seat in between you. Does that make sense? And if you want prayer, I want you to sit in between those folks. And they're just going to take some time, and they're going to pray for you. We're going to have, again, an extended time. This is not an easy thing to kind of wrestle through. The rest of us, we're going to worship. It's like the friends of the paralytic. That's what you're doing when you worship. Your worship is going to bring people into the presence of Jesus. You don't have to know what's going on up here. But when you worship, it does change the atmosphere a little bit. It makes it easier for people to connect to the Lord. So that's your job if you're not coming forward. If you're Thomas... I want you to come forward. I just want you to sit down, tell them what's going on, and they're going to pray. They don't have magic answers for you either. But what they're going to do is they're going to do their best through prayer to bring you to the feet of Jesus and trust that he's going to give you what you need. There's three or four of you. There's not 30 of you who are in this spot. And if it's you, I don't want you to feel guilty. But here's what I'm afraid you're going to do. What I'm afraid you're going to do is say, I'm going to be fine. That's what we do. I'm going to be fine. It's not that bad. I'm going to be fine. Don't just say you're going to be fine acknowledge that's where I'm I would this is something I really want to believe I'm just not seeing it and I would love to see it and I don't know what to do with that so just trust that your courage your obedience in coming forward and sitting down in between these two people that's like showing up in the room and we'll just trust Jesus to circle back and to give you what you need you guys close your eyes I want to read you two things this is kind of long so your eyes will be closed for a minute. Daniel 3. Y'all remember the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Three guys, they're in Babylon, pagan empire. Nebuchadnezzar's the king. He builds this huge statue of himself. And every time the worship music starts, he says, you got to bow down. Worship me. Worship this statue. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't do it. And then some guys tell on them because they're jealous. And Nebuchadnezzar gets really mad when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't bow down to his statue. And he heats up this oven seven times hotter than, it's supposed, than it normally is. And he says, you guys bow down. I'm throwing you in there. And this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say in Daniel 3, starting in verse 16. They reply to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. He can deliver us from that furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. That's where God wants us to be. He wants us to get to a place where we, with every confidence, say, God can do this. And even if he doesn't, I'm not going anywhere. That's the, that's the sweet spot where we want to get where we're 100% confident in God's ability to deliver us. And even his willingness to do so. He will deliver me from your hand. And yet to say, but even if for whatever reason he doesn't, I'm not going anywhere. This is Hebrews 11. People call it the hall of faith. And what more shall I say? 
I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. When we think faith, that's what we think. Yeah, that's the fruit of faith, to see these victories. Listen to the rest of the chapter. There were others. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. There were others who faced jeers and flogging. There were others who were put in chains and imprisoned. There were others who were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. The people who we would say won and the people who we would say lost. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. None of them did. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, you're surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses. People who we would say won, who triumphed, and people who we would say lost and were devastated. That, that's the great cloud of witnesses. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race set before us as we fix our eyes on Jesus. If you're an other this morning, if you would say, there were others, that's my label. We want to pray with you and pray for you. So Holy Spirit, would you move in hearts of Thomases today? Jesus, would you circle back? And give them exactly what they need in the way that they need it. In, in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can stand. Ministry teams, y'all can set up shop over there. And uh, the re- you guys come forward as you will. The rest of y'all worship. And Bo will dismiss us in about ten minutes. <laughs>